Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. And I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. If there's one thing wrong with people, Paul always said, is that no one remembers the shit they should have. And everyone remembers the shit that didn't matter for shit. I remember Euclid Avenue. I remember yelling outside our window coming in from the street, grandma putting down her coffee, I remember grandma holding my ankle, swinging my two-year-old self out the front door, flipping me right side up, plopping me down next to the Hawaiian violets, plopping herself down next to me. I remember awe and disbelief. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I'm talking to Gabriel Bump about his debut novel, Everywhere You Don't Belong. It's an alternatingly poignant and funny coming-of-age story about an average African-American kid growing up in South Shore, nine miles south of downtown Chicago. Claude is abandoned by his parents and raised by a tough, loving grandmother and her kooky friend. He navigates past losing childhood friends, evading neighborhood drug culture, surviving being a young Black kid and overcoming heartbreak. Later, he goes to study journalism at a college in Missouri, where he and another Black student are tasked with writing about race relations for the student newspaper. Hi, Gabriel. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, Galit. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited. So how did you come to write this amazing book, Everywhere You Don't Belong?, Oh well, thanks for thanks for calling it amazing. Um, it's it just started as well. I guess it started as uh, just a prompt, right? In in a college writing workshop, uh, I had just transferred from the University of Missouri back home to Chicago to attend the School of the Art Institute of Chicago and was in a workshop and we had, you know, to write something for a class for a deadline. Um, and I, for whatever reason, partially influenced by uh, my, my personal life, but I came up with, uh, Claude, the, the protagonist of that short story ends up being the protagonist of this novel, everywhere you don't belong. Um, and I fell in love with Claude, like with, with his voice in that initial short story and just kind of, you know, kept writing short stories about the same character and that same voice 
Uh, and then I went to grad school right right after college at the University of Massachusetts, uh, Amherst. Um, and there, after I'd had a few short stories around like Claude and, and his grandma uh, was a character and Paul became a character too. Uh, just those three characters kind of carried those initial stories that end up being the first chapters uh, in the novel. Um, and I didn't know really what they were. I just knew I was having fun. I liked it. And uh, just one day, one of my professors, uh, Jeff Parker at, at UMass, uh, just said to me, hey, man, I think you're writing a novel. Uh, I said, okay, I didn't know I was doing that, but let's let's see how this ends up. Wow. So Claude is, he's a sweetheart. He's a sensitive kid trying to do the right thing. How much of you is in him? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, in terms of, of Claude's life, like the events that happen, you know, we're very different, right? Like uh, I, as a kid, I was never, for example, like recruited to, to join a a gang slash social movement like the Red Belters in the book, uh, like Claude is kind of recruited to do and ends up not doing. Uh, our families were were different in, in some regard, but uh, I feel like Claude uh, emotionally was pretty similar to me. Uh, you know, like Claude is a kid that experiences anxiety as kind of these depressive swings. Um, in the second half of the book, when he goes to college in Missouri, you know, the homesickness he feels is the same homesickness I felt when I went to uh, Missouri for, for college initially. Um, so emotionally we're, we're really similar, I think. And that's why maybe it came naturally to me. Uh, cause I was writing about Claude's, um, especially the second half when he's 18, you know, I was writing those stories when I was like 22. And so those emotions were still pretty fresh in me. Um, but then in, t- in terms of particularly the wild stuff that happens to Claude in the book, you know, my life was much more boring than Claude's. Hmm. Let's talk about your love of South Shore. It's a three square mile area on the lakefront south of Hyde Park, where my husband grew up, famous for once being home to Michelle Obama and uh, who? Kanye West and known for beautiful architecture stunning big old homes do you still think of it as home now that you're grown up and gone uh yeah well see i haven't lived there in five years something like that and um of course i mean it's 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 my home it'll always be my home and you know i I miss it particularly now i guess probably it's the the fact that i can't go back and visit at the moment if i wanted to um where it'd be a a big ordeal to leave my current home in Buffalo and to drive back to Chicago. Uh, and I mean, I was always in love with it, right? Cause a lot of my friends that I had, um, in, you know, grade school, high school, uh, didn't live in, in South shore. A lot of them lived in Hyde park, right. Or, or on the, on the North side and, and South shore, always felt like a misunderstood place to me, a misunderstood place, but a very beautiful place. Uh, and particularly when I was in high school and this kind of spurred some of the, some of the book or right? some of the intention of the book, 
um, was that there was a an increase in violence, a pretty sharp increase in violence in South Shore when when I was in high mm-hmm. school and and all across uh, Chicago. Really, well, on the south side and west side of Chicago, there was this increase in violence, uh, and it was gaining this national attention around the same time. Right, the uh, one of the most famous South Shore residents, Michelle Obama, was also everywhere in the news, right? It was uh, at her husband's side um, and being, you know, this uh, this picture of, of excellence, right? Um, and I thought that both of those depictions of South Shore were, were missing the South Shore as, like, I understood it. Right as I kind of like saw it every day, as I saw when I would like ride the bus to bus to school, um, was that there was a lot of quiet people just going about their lives, right? and uh, in this beautiful setting, you know, it's right on the lake, right? It's like this lakefront neighborhood, uh, the the gorgeous architecture, right? The tree lined streets, um, and so that's what I, I want to focus on in this book: those those aspects that weren't really getting. Uh, the national attention or, or even in Chicago, you know, uh, like kind of clearing up the, the misconceptions as, as I saw them, at least. Mm-hmm. My favorite character in the book is Grandma, who grew up during the civil rights era. Can we talk about how she wanted to organize a militia? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, grandma's wild, right? Um, so, and, and the grandma, I, I should say the grandma in the book is, is somewhat inspired by uh, my my own grandmother, um, who's similar to the grandma in the book, was uh, originally from Harlem, um, or grew up in the South, moved to Harlem as a young girl and uh, was raised there primarily. And I didn't really get to, to know my grandma um, until she got really sick um, later in her life and came to Chicago to, to live with us, to live in our home. And there we became really close. Uh, if my parents weren't able to take care of her, then I would stay home and take care of her. And this was when I was in college and had just moved back uh, from Missouri to Chicago. Um, and a lot of this book is, I guess it started out too, as uh, reimagining this woman that I only knew when she was pretty frail, right? And who I had heard stories of her being this really tough, you know, strong, strong woman that um, raised raised a, a beautiful family somewhat on, on her own, right? Uh, was a hard worker. Um, and so in the book, when the violence in South Shore starts rising, is it, was in real life and, and grandma decides that she wants to fight back and then form a militia. Uh, that seemed like something my grandma would have done if she was in that same situation. I mean, she was a tough woman that wouldn't really take crap from anybody, uh, particularly her, her grandson. She wouldn't. Um, and so I think that that's, you know, that explains that, that impulse. And, uh, I mean, she was a really funny woman, right? and then she was capable of just remarkable tenderness, uh, even with that really tough exterior and that no nonsense exterior. Like, there's a scene in the book um, when there's this riot happening in the neighborhood, and 
and grandma is uh, standing on the front porch, you know, with a with a homemade weapon, uh, just ready to protect her house and the people inside it, her loved ones. Uh, and when I was writing that, you know, depiction of her, I, I could see my grandmother. I could see my grandmother on that porch uh, with that weapon. Standing with a broom and yelling at people walking by. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, you better not, you better not come in here. And yeah. uh, telling like Claude to get inside, get inside. Oh God, she was so funny. There was lots of arguing, a lot of funny. My favorite, per, my personal favorite was uh, grandma's involved in this one. It was between New York City and Chicago. I think they're talking about the 90s as a mecca for basketball. What's your personal take on that? Oh, Chicago. But okay, I, can, you know, I, okay. I can, uh, I, I have sympathy for the New York side of things, but, uh, okay. <laughs> um, but then, um, Claude gets really upset and, um, I want to, I want to talk about who wins the argument about which riot was worse. Cause there's a, a riot happens in South shore and Claude is arguing that right then in the 2010s in South shore is worse than the riot that took place in Chicago during the 1968 Democratic Convention. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and so, um, well, I think like that is, like that exchange was was influenced by, I think like conversations I hear constantly, like we're always comparing the present with the past in some way, especially in terms of like atrocities and, and injustice and, um, I, I wrote that riot scene uh, a few, you know, as 2014, 15, kind of at the height of the Black Lives Matter movement, mm-hmm. um, when you know Ferguson was uh, was on fire. Like I remember seeing that on TV, and by this time I was in Massachusetts at grad school. But like I'd been to Ferguson when I was in college. Like I, I knew people from the area around Ferguson, you know, driven through it a lot of times. And to see this place that like I knew, like on fire, uh, was pretty stirring for me. Um, and I think especially in the Black Lives Matter movement, there was this generational divide as, as I guess there always is, you know, I imagine that there were, uh, people in their early twenties, late teens in 1968, uh, that were talking with, uh, you know, older, older people that have lived through, you know, the Jim, Jim Crow era, right. And in, in the South, and there's always this comparison of things, you know, either getting, uh, getting better or, or remaining the same. Right. Um, and so my, my take on that was just one of confusion. And so I expressed that in the book, like I wanted to put those two, a generational divide up against each other uh, because during the Black Lives Matter movement, it seemed, you know, like it was um, this deep, deep existential crisis. Right? And, uh, but then, you know, things have improved for black people, for uh, persons of color, as you but then things still aren't Unless that great. they're running. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so those little moments like can kind of, um, well, just remind us of, you know, how much more we have to yeah. do or, yeah. or just the fact that, you know, I still feel like 
well, like I don't belong in some places, right? Well, like, there's a lot of hate in this country right now. So we can leave it. We can we can keep going on that. <laughs> or, <laughs> well, I, or, guess I, I would say um, that there has just always been a tremendous amount of hate in this country. Uh, and the way that we... Um, the way that hate is like digested, interpreted, expressed, uh, I think might change a little bit, but um, it's when something when something horrible happens to a young black man or young person of color, you know, I guess we're even seeing it with our, our current disaster, how it's just devastating communities of color uh, at disproportionate rates right like it's 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 hard to feel optimistic or as if anything has changed even though we might feel it has yeah we were hopeful for a while there yeah it was going to or you know tricking ourselves into feeling hope whichever there's There's a lot of hope in your book let's talk about janice claude meets janice at an assembly and is it love at first sight what can you say about her um yeah i mean it's it, it, it is love that at first sight. And um, I think it's a, a love that hopefully, you know, if, if you're lucky, like a lot of people can relate to if the first time when you're a young person and you just see, you see someone or like hold someone's hand, you just can feel this, these emotions you haven't felt before. Right. And, and Claude, really, really feels that with Janice, even if Janice totally doesn't uh, feel the same amount of, of love for Claude. Uh, you know, I think that she does, but there are ways to, to interpret it. Um, but what I like most about Claude and Janice's relationship in, in this book isn't just, you know, the deep love and affection that, that they feel for each other, but, but how that love grows over the course of the book. Right, like uh, it grows from this intense puppy love, right, to them dealing with tragedy together, uh, to them like uh, pulling apart and then just being yanked back together, right, like, uh, and I think that the complexity in in that relationship uh, moves beyond just romance. I think like like true love can do, uh, or true love should do right is to to be this complex thing it's not so simple you're pretty young for a romantic but it comes (laughs) romance comes through and it's quite lovely how does claude figure out that journalism at missouri is his way out although i did learn something from just chatting with you to that you went to missouri so journalism Uh, yeah yes um so in the book you know Claude has journalism uh, kind of just put put onto him right by by his grandmother because uh, they want him to to be something special and he can't seem to do anything right. Uh, he doesn't seem to have any kind of skill or something, and, and for whatever reason, uh, journalism speaks to him. And, and you know, in a similar way, you know, that's kind of how I ended up with. Uh, being interested in, in journalism. Uh, I, I wasn't a, a very good student in, in high school, but there was something about working for my high school newspaper um, that clicked with me, 
right? And I don't know if it's just the structure. Uh, like I love to write and just having um, that, you know, rigid, uh, rigid framework of meeting word counts, meeting deadlines. I think that was really beneficial to me uh, as a writer and a person. Um, now, like, I think we both, Claude and I, when I say we both, uh, ended up in Missouri for different reasons. Uh, like I went to Missouri because I wanted to be a journalist. I, I wanted to go to the Missouri School of Journalism, which is one of the best in the country. I, th I think Claude ends up being really pulled to Missouri because he wants to leave Chicago. You know, he's pretty disillusioned with Chicago by the time uh, he graduates and just really wants a change. Uh, that that wasn't really my feeling. Like I I missed home. I'm like. Um, I knew that before I left for Missouri, I was going to miss home. I think Claude, when he experiences homesickness, it's a little more surprising to him. Um, but, you know, I, I ended up not sticking with journalism uh, because, you know, I, I took some fiction classes and, and ended up realizing I liked making up stuff more than, uh, than doing the the hard, really tough work for an important work that the journalists do. Uh, I just wasn't built for it, I guess. You know, I didn't um, have it in me to, to call someone three times if they didn't pick up the first two times I called them, um, that kind of stuff. I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash NBN50 and use code NBN50 to get 50% off. That's code NBN50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50 percent off and there he is in missouri and um claude keeps thinking his life is going to change but he's the same timid a little bit bumbling trying so hard wanting a friend and then he and the only other african-american student are singled out to write about race relations for the student newspaper why why doesn't that upset claude as much as it does the other student yeah, um, I think that that so our student Simone, right, comes from a bit of a different background uh, than than Claude does. Uh, you know, she's from Kansas City, he's from Chicago. Um, I think Claude is already disillusioned by the time he gets to Missouri a little bit, and, and just his his place in the world or something, and just his his demeanor is more easygoing. And I think that the dynamic between Claude and Simone uh, is something that, well, I imagine that every person of color that's attended an institution of higher education can relate to. These are predominantly white spaces. And if you're 
lucky enough, you have at least one other person of, of color in your, in your classroom. Um, if you're really lucky, you know, more, but that's somewhat of an exaggeration. Uh, but there is this pressure on, sometimes it's, you know, real pressure put on by professors or advisors or whatever. And sometimes it's just this internal pressure to be a representation of your race in these white spaces. Uh, and Simone is pissed off by it. Uh, and Claude, I think more just because of his personality and his uh, past experiences, uh, is uh, just uh, thinks that it's stupid and doesn't want any part of it and doesn't really get angry. He just gets sad. Right? I think he just gets really sad by it. And I think that that, that sadness is, uh, is important to, to depict because I think that a lot of young people of color in, in these institutions are, are just sad and tired of, of having to, to, you know, speak for a whole group of people. And you address it in such a, th- a funny way, also sad at the same time, um, in the scene where they're watching cricket, where Claude is watching cricket with the father and daughter, and they're all arguing about what home means. First of all, how did you come to understand cricket? And second, did you intend to write about home and belonging as one of your central themes? Yeah, so I'll take the, the cricket one first. So I, I fell. I fell in love with cricket um, in grad school. Like, I think I forget what, uh, it's just this weird happenstance. Like I was just up really early one morning, like at four o'clock in the morning or something like that. Uh, like I just finished a big project and gone to sleep early and woke up early and I turned on the TV and I, you know, love sports. And there was just this game on TV that I had like heard of, but didn't know anything about and that was right before the summer and then, you know, uh, had a little break between between work and just started watching a ton of cricket. Uh, and I was, you know, I still love cricket. Um, and then I think as writers, it's important to give yourselves, um, well, to give ourselves a little treat sometimes by just throwing something in a book that only we like uh, or particularly we like and understand. Um and to answer your, the second part of your question, um, I didn't know I was writing a book about home and belonging. Uh, when I started writing it, um, when I was close to finishing it, uh, probably even after the first draft, which was my graduate thesis, um, the idea of like home and belonging and the importance of it to, to Claude and to myself, I think just became clear through, through the writing process, you know, and uh, I think a lot of that is a reflection of my feelings at the time, you know, like when I was finishing this book, I had spent, you know, the most time away from home um, that I ever had. Uh, I think it was like, I hadn't been back to Chicago and, almost two years or something like that, not even for holidays. Uh, and the importance of, of home uh, just became clear. Uh, maybe just coincidentally, when I was finishing this book, when I was drafting it and putting it together, uh, and the idea of belonging, 
was something that, um, you know, I grappled with uh, as a teenager and, and I'm still grappling with now. And I think a lot of young people of color grapple with it. You know, it's where, where do I fit in? Where, where do I belong? And maybe it was being in Western Massachusetts and just not seeing people like me um, for long stretches of time. Uh, and, you know, getting the, the strange looks in the grocery store, which, you know, happens everywhere, not just Western Massachusetts, but just this real feeling of, okay, people might not want me here, right? Or if they do, they don't, you know, know how to approach me or speak to me. And um, those are those are heavy things to grapple with. You know, I, I think that like writing for someone, through that for someone young. Yeah. Right. I think that as we get older, you can, you can deal with it better. You can um, like navigate better, but as, as a young person, it's, uh, it's a lot, I mean, it's a lot to deal with. Yeah. Should we talk a little bit about how the police are sometimes awful, but other times they save the day in your story? <laughs> um, yeah, we can. <laughs> Why not? Uh, so let's see the the police is something awful we can sometimes sometimes as sometimes something awful um again uh the events in the book you know that lead to this this riot um were inspired by events that were happening in real time as i was writing it right like uh particularly the killing of Mike Brown um, in Missouri, uh, which, you know, police have been um, killing young, young black men, I guess, in particular, but uh, people of, of color for generations. Right? I guess this wasn't anything new that happened. But uh, the response and like the imagery around it was really powerful and stirred a lot of people. And I think that even, even then uh, it's less about the police being bad, right. And more about the, the victims, the people that could relate to the victims, the families of the victims, just being angry that this happened with impunity, right. Like that um, I think is, is more the problem in these cases. Right? It's just this, this un, uh, unacknowledged or unappreciated, underappreciated, just total anger someone feels with someone being uh, able to get away with something like that, I think is what it really comes down to. Uh, and so in the riot scene in the book, um, that anger, you know, bubbles up. Uh, and the police being uh, good sometimes, you know, is they're are kind of doing their jobs the way their jobs were meant to be done, if, if that makes sense. Well, it was a nice nod to the CPD and <laughs> other police departments. I'll let them know. <laughs> yeah. um, one last question. Characters, several characters, especially Claude and Janice, spend a lot of time talking about where they should run away to. It's a different side of the whole home and belonging, but there's a lot of talking about running away to somewhere else. Yeah, and I, th I think a lot of that has to do 
with, uh, you know, just this, the youthful desire to be someplace other than where you are, especially if, if where you are isn't treating you so well. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a nice place to let your imagination run wild. Uh, and it's a good mental exercise, I think. You know, it's like if you're unhappy in the place you are at the moment, you know, would, would I be happier in Barcelona? I, I, I like that mental exercise. Um, and, you know, it's, it's clouded and naivete because picking up your life and moving somewhere is pretty hard to do especially if you're older and, and have kids. So I think it's this luxury of, of being uh, a dreamy young person uh, to just kind of pick up and, and go somewhere. Hmm. Well, this, first of all, it was just a charming coming of age story and thank you for sharing it. Um, what are you working on next? Uh, yeah. So I am working on, on a few things. Now I have uh, a second novel uh, under contract with Algonquin. Uh, it takes place in Western Massachusetts. Uh, actually, it's uh, about a group of uh, academics that um, come together and form a, a secret society because they feel despair about the state of the world, um, which is weird because I started writing it a few years ago, uh, and it seems poignant in the current moment, actually. Uh, and uh, I'm also working on uh, another novel set in Buffalo, where I uh, live now, uh, about a young man just uh, moving to town in a state of despair and trying to see if he can make himself feel better in this new place. Um, and I, I view these, these three books as kind of a trilogy on belonging, right, which I never thought I'd write, but, um, you know, it's, I've spent most of my twenties trying to think of and answer this question. Uh, and so for, it's for the next book that I, you know, just kind of started recently. Uh, I just want to do something different and fun and silly. Right? Mm -hmm. so, so we'll see how that goes right now. It, it seems to be a story about, uh, treasure hunters in the, Great Lakes um, in the Midwest. <laughs> hmm. So, Gabriel, you now live in Buffalo, but I just, final thing, you're still a White Sox fan, right? You're oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's okay. Uh, okay. till death do us part. Okay. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. I wish you lots of luck. Everyone should read your book. Oh, well, thanks, Lee. Thanks so much for having me, having me on and for, um, for saying those nice things about it. I'm glad you enjoyed the book. And thank you for joining me. Again, this is G.P. Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking with Gabriel Bump, author of Everywhere You Don't Belong. If you enjoyed today's podcast and would like to discuss it further with me and other New Book Network listeners, please join us on Shuffle. Shuffle's an ad-free, invite-only network based on the creativity community. As NBN listeners, you can get special access to conversations with a dynamic community of writers and literary enthusiasts. Sign up by going to www.shuffle.do forward slash NBN 
forward slash join. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.